All right, hey, we're going to go ahead and get started. If you have, uh, if you're in line to grab a bagel or some tea or some some coffee, uh, do not feel like you need to rush through that. Have yourself a bagel and enjoy yourself. And if at any point during the service you need a refill or another bagel, especially if you need to stay awake, uh, please make your way about the room uh, at your own leisure. We want you to feel at home. This is kind of our living room, if you would, as our uh, church family, and we're glad that you're a part of it. So we want you to feel uh, very much uh, at home. So uh, there is that. I think there's still some cheese bagels back there. Uh, Grant, is that correct? Is there some cheesy bagels back there? Okay. There, we're not left with just the raisin ones. If you get there late, you just get raisin. All right. Hey, we're jumping into things this morning. We have been in this series called Wrestling with God. And here's the heartbeat behind it is what we're trying to do is we're trying to take various topics. I swear, all they try and do is scream louder every single week. Uh, and they're doing a really good job of that. We love hearing the kids. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at some topics that as followers of Christ, we wrestle with. They're not always easy. They make us maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe they're the hot topics of the day. We have dealt with the, the topic of hell. We have looked at suffering. We have looked at fear. Next week, uh, Pastor Alex is going to wrestle with the, the topic of doubt. Sometimes we have doubts. Uh, in our hearts, is God good? Does He ultimately win? Does He even hear me when I pray, or is I'm just am I just saying things out loud? And we don't like to admit that we doubt. We don't like to admit that we have fear. We don't like to admit that we have suffering, but it's a reality. And so what we're doing is we're wrestling with these topics to see what God has to say. And sometimes, like we talked about during week one, sometimes if we wrestle with God, not against him, but with God based on what he's calling us to, we will walk away with a limp. It, it doesn't feel good. Maybe there's a pain or an injury. Maybe he's calling us to do something. And today is no different. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, I want to give a uh, a preface for this morning. One of the things we often hear is, why well, I don't like to go to church because all they do is talk about money. All they do is talk about giving. That's actually not true. We talk about it very little. In fact, the church at large talks about it very little. However, we are talking about it today. So if you came in with that notion of, please, God, don't let them talk about money, I just want to apologize. It is that day. We are talking about money, but not in the sense that you might be thinking about money. We're really talking about giving, and we're going to see that really what God is doing is he's looking at our heart. So uh, I say that as an apology, as a preface, but also uh, some explanation. So as we jump into this morning's message, I want to start... Uh, as we kick things off with a part of scripture from the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, would love to uh, ask you to open up uh, to that book of Malachi. Or if you uh, have our app, we have a, a Bible app embedded in that. Uh, you can also open up a tablet or an iPad or, or whatever uh, works for you to the book of Malachi. It's a book that's actually written. This is what's pretty interesting about this book. It's written to God's people during a time where they're living in disobedience. They're, they're not living faithful. They're not living in obedience. They're not living the consistency that God calls them to. 
Now, all of us in this room, at some point or another in our lives, we could probably go, I've been there. I haven't lived faithfully. I haven't lived obediently. I haven't lived consistently to what God wants of me. And so we have a relation uh, to this people group. Here's how it reads in Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 6. This beginning verse is a great one to memorize, maybe right on your uh, uh, fridge or on your computer or at your desk. I, the Lord, do not change. I just want to stop there just for a, a, a quick second just to encourage you. The Lord does not change. Our life circumstances do. Our, our events change. Our crises change. The Lord does not change change, he says, for you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, meaning a long, long time has progressed, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how, how are we supposed to return? Well, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse. Your, your whole nation really is under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. We, we start with this passage when we talk about giving in a, in a broader sense. Again, this is for the follower of Christ who is, is looking to follow the spiritual disciplines that God calls us to live. And this passage, or, or rather this subject, invokes a slew of wrestling matches in the hearts probably of you, certainly of all mankind, and maybe if you're listening online. For some of us, a passage like this will immediately make us feel defensive. Our guard is up. We talked about this, that hey, all the church ever does is talk about money, 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 money. This is why I hate church. This is why I don't want to be following of God, because all they do is want my money. So there's a defensiveness that starts to drum up a little bit. For others, this subject uh, invokes a little bit of guilt. Maybe you have known, man, I was taught as a kid or I've known as an adult that you should give, that you should give financially, that you should tithe, that you should give your offerings, that you should give back to the church, you should give to God. I haven't been doing that. I don't really want to do it. I can't afford to do it. So I feel guilt. And then there's a group in this room that when we talk about money and giving, you'll find yourself wrestling with this topic, pride. Because you have been giving, you have been faithful. In fact, you give above and beyond, whatever that is, and we'll talk about that. But you give above and beyond. So there's this sense of pride that you'll probably wrestle with to some degree or another. And finally, there's just plain wrestling, and that's the whole heartbeat of this series, wrestling with very honest questions. How much should I give? Where should I give it to? Should I just give to the church and let them figure out where it goes? Or should I give to other organizations? What should I do with it? And, and, and if I give to other organizations, does it count towards my, quote, total giving? 
so that I make sure I'm hitting that mark? What does it mean that God will bless me if I give? What, what does that even look like? How does all this work? And so this morning, as we wrestle with God, we're going to tackle some of these questions. Here's what I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to tell you what you should give. I'm not going to tell you where you should give. I'm not going to tell you how much you should give. I'm not even going to dive into your business because it's none of my business. What I am going to do is I'm going to draw a correlation between your heart and your money. And I'm going to cause you, I'm going to hopefully cause you to just wrestle a little bit. Maybe it's a quick wrestling match. Maybe it's a lengthy one. But I want you to wrestle <laughs> This morning, the place that I'd like to start, the most, in question important, the most important question that I hear asked of me as a pastor for my entire time in ministry is this, why is giving so important? Why does God even care about my money? What is the big deal? I pray, I read my Bible, I do what is good. Why does he even care? Because God doesn't even need my money. And what I want to say to that is, you're 100% true. He doesn't need your money. The U.S. government prints money even if we can't afford it, right? Like that's just what we do. God can make money with the snap of his fingers. So does he need you to pay a bill? No, he doesn't need you, but he needs you. And we're going to look at that. And to answer this question, I think it's a pretty good place to start. We'll look at some words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, so you can go ahead and turn to that. It's the most famous sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon recorded in the scriptures. And he talks about money. Here's what he says, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then there's this small little verse that brings clarity, that brings understanding. Here's a short explanation of what Jesus gives on why giving is so important. This is the epitome of answering the question, why does God even care about me giving? He says this in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what matters. This is the issue. You see, what Jesus understands and tells us here is that your heart and your money are connected. It's, it's, in other words, it's very similar to a, a bungee tethering. Have any of you ever gone bungee jumping? Anyone in this room? Do I not see a hand? Not one? We only had one last service. You did, Danielle? You're pregnant. Danielle's about to pop any second. So if something happens, you wave me down and we will do something, all right? You've been bungee jumping. How many of you would love to go bungee jumping? You just haven't yet. You freaks. My gosh. No. How many of you, no way are you ever going bungee jumping? Yeah. Normal people. All right. Danielle, you can, you can attend to this, right? There's a connection between the person who's tethered in and the bungee. You are literally, your heart, your entire being is attached to that bungee doing what it should. Why? Good, you'll die. 
Yeah, if the bungee doesn't do its job, you're dead. That's a bad day, right? So our, our heart is attached in that moment to the bungee. The way Jesus, the way the Bible describes giving and money is the exact same way. Your treasure, your stuff, your finances, your gifts, your skills, everything is attached to your heart. It's all attached to our, our hearts. Why? Because our money reveals our hearts. And then Jesus will take this even a step further. What Jesus tells us in this passage is not just that our money reveals our hearts, but that our money leads our hearts. Our money does it. It just leads our hearts. We don't want it to. We, we push back on it. We don't want it to drive us. But there is an absolute connection to it. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When I was in junior high in seventh grade, I, I was growing up. I wasn't grown up then. I was growing up. Huge Bears fan, huge Chicago Bears fan uh, from when they uh, drafted Walter Payton. And I would go and pretend I was Walter Payton and I, and I followed the Bears religiously. Uh, and then my friend, one of my friends, Keith, uh, decided he'd get about 12 of us together uh, to do this thing called betting. And what we would do is we would all, many of you have probably been a part of this, you would pick games, pick the winners for the Sunday afternoon games. And so we would uh, go through and the Bears were playing the Packers and, and the Bengals were, were playing uh, the 49ers and, and you name it, whoever was playing whoever, and we would pick the winners. But in order to do that, you had to give a dollar. Now, a dollar for a seventh grader is, is a lot of money. So we would throw in a dollar and you would pick your winners. And then the, the next week on Monday or Tuesday, they would figure out who guessed the most games. And they, then they would get the $12 from everybody else. And that's a lot of money for a seventh grader. But here's what's interesting. Back then, there were no computers, no cell phones, no internet, no ESPN. Our TV growing up had six channels. And so we would pick the games, but we wouldn't be able to find out till the next morning when my dad got the Chicago Tribune and I'd have to go to the paper and look down and find out who won to find out, did I win the $12, mostly losing the $12. And so then... Not only did I care in, in my disdain for the Packers if they won or lost, now I really wanted the Packers to lose because then I could maybe earn some money. So here's what it did for me, other than making me a habitual gambler at seventh grade, is I began to care. Why? Oh, well, I loved football. Yes, I love football, but why did I care? I cared because my money was attached to my picks these silly little games and wondering the next day, all of a sudden my heart and my dollars were invested. Normally I didn't care if the, if, if the one team beat another team, but I don't want to lose my dollar. And now I do. And friends, this is exactly how it works. You put your money in and your heart gets a little bit more Attached. We see that today. Uh, if, if you have followed the news at all, the stock market, uh, the last 
two weeks or, or this last week specifically, the ups and downs and the gains and losses. It's like the only thing that the newscasters know on what to talk about uh, is these incredible drops and incredible gains and up and down the bear market. It's crazy. Well, if you have a 401k or you have investments and you're getting ready to retire and you're watching things, you're watching it a little bit more carefully than maybe you would in your 30s or 40s. You're watching it a little bit more detailed. Why? Because your heart is attached to that. We can push back and say, my heart's not attached to my money. And I will say, it is. We, even if we don't want it to be, it is. And so now you can see why Jesus says, get your money into the things of God. Get your money into the things that are eternal. Get your money into the things that won't fall away, that won't waste away, that aren't going to blow away. Get your money into the things that are in the heavenly realms. Unleash your resources for God's work. Why? Because God needs your money? No, we've already explained that. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need love. He doesn't need acceptance. He doesn't need affection. He doesn't need your prayers. He doesn't need, underline that word, anything. But he so desires it because of what happens because of it. That's a very, very big distinction. It's different than what I learned growing up in the church. What I learned growing up in the church is you have to because God needs it to pay the bill. And is there some reality that our finances help run church? By all means, you all know that. You all know that to replace carpet and paint walls and keep uh, electricity on, especially during the sermon, it absolutely costs bills. Is that why God wants your money? Absolutely not. That is not the reason. It's because he genuinely cares about your life. Maybe you're like me. I've invited non-believing, uh, non-following Christ friends my entire life to church. When I was at the police department, I invited countless law enforcement partners of mine uh, to church. And one thing I heard over and over, hallelujah, hi, sweet girl. One thing that I heard over and over and over was, I don't want to go to church because all God wants is my money. Why would I want to go to your church? All they're going to do is ask me for money. They're going to pass a basket. They're going to ask me for an offering, and that's all they want. And my response almost always is, that's not true. That's false. In fact, it's way worse than that. God wants your entire heart. Your wallet can come later. But God wants your heart. And, and you and I both know this. Your heart your emotions, your feelings are the most delicate, precious thing you have in your being. It's not a piece of jewelry. It's certainly not a paycheck. It's not a fancy car. It's what you feel and experience here. That's what God wants. And so first and foremost, to answer the question, why does God even care that's why he cares. Next wrestling point we'll deal with is, what's the deal with this whole tithing thing? Again, uh, kind of a taboo thing. We don't like to talk about money. We certainly don't want to talk about tithing. So let's just identify the elephant in the living room. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this thing called tithing. Tithe is just a word in the Bible that means a tenth part. 
The idea is that people would take 10% of their gained income and give it back to God. That's, that's all that it means. The first time we see tithing is way back in Genesis 14, the very, very beginning. Abraham has just won a battle, a significant battle to rescue his nephew Lot. And after the victory, he gives a tenth of the spoils to a priest of God. At this point, tithing was not a law. It was not expected. It was, it was not a rule. It was not for the follower of Christ. It was just something that Abraham did in response to God's faithfulness in his life. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but if you want to say what's healthy giving look like, Abraham, after the battle of protecting Lot, is a perfect place to give. Because you should, because you're asked for, because you're expected to, no. Just out of a genuine response to God's faithfulness. That's a really healthy place to be. But then we move to the Old Testament. If we continue to move, we see that this practice becomes ingrained into the practice of the followers of God, especially to this people group of Israel. This is in Leviticus chapter 27. I know most of you have spent most of this week in the book of Leviticus, so this will be familiar. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. What's he saying about this? Well, unless you're Tim or Mimi who grow, grow everything in their yard from cucumbers to grapes to tomatoes and uh, everything else, most of you don't have crops at home. I'm looking around. Maybe you have a basement full of them. Most of you don't... Thank you. Man, I think God inspired you on that laughter. That was just good. Most of you don't have a bunch of crops. You go, well, I can't go give a bunch of food to God. Okay, what God is saying here is everything you have, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the food you consume, the television you watch, the music you listen to, everything you have is not because you worked hard for it. It's because God has given it to you. Even right now, as you take a breath in, it's only because God allows you to take a breath in. This is a healthy view of who God is. It's one that's not very popular, especially in the United States, where we like to take ownership of who we are, what I am, what I have, what I've worked for, what I've saved for. We like to own. We like to have our stuff. And it is not a popular message, but it is a biblical message that everything you have, both good and ill, is, has passed through the hands of God. Everything but there's more. There's actually three tithes listed in the Old Testament. One was every third year. And so when you put all of these different tithes, if we really want to focus on tithing quotes, the people of God were giving on average over 23% of their income. Now, I hope you're sitting here going, he better not say, that we should give 23% of our income. And I'm not. No one can do that unless you're extraordinary and you put that into practice and you're in a position where you can actually make that happen. I'm also not going to say give 1%. I'm not going to say give 10%. I started out by saying, I'm not going to tell you what to give, what percentage to give, where to give it, how to give. I'm not even going to do that. 
But what I am saying is so many people historically in the church get so caught up into tithing and our 10%. And so they get out their calculator and they type it all in and then they set an amount and they give it because they're being biblical. And what I want to say to you is it's not even biblical at all. This 10% thing. Because it gets much more than that, especially when we get to the New Testament. Because God also gives commands like this in Deuteronomy chapter 24. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your tree, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes, unless you're the Newmans, you don't have any. If you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt. That is why I commanded you to do this. It take, they, they take something in Deuteronomy that is, that is so known to the listener, so known to the reader, and makes it so personal. Again, we don't have olive. I doubt any of you are going to go look at your olive trees today. You're not going to go look at your vines. You're not going to go into your field and harvest. But you will go back and you will look at all that God has given you. And you see, followers of God, we're always supposed to remember some key tenets in regards to giving. Number one, who is it that provides for them? And I ask you, who is it that provides for you? Who is it that has freed them from slavery and bondage and sin? And my friends, who is it that has freed you from slavery and bondage and sin? Who is it that has given them? Who is it that has given you all that they have, all that you have, if not the Lord God Almighty? You see, here's the deal. Generosity with our giving is such a priority for God because generosity reflects God himself. And you say, well, God's held off on the generosity part of his hand with me because I'm poor. Okay, we can certainly go there in different economic statuses and certainly in this room and listening online, there are different economic statuses. But here's how God has given his generosity and all you have to do is look at the cross. Because no dollar amount in the world can relate or measure up to what it cost him. And that changes the story. It's it's God lived out here and now. As you give, as you take care of others, as you look out for the interests of others, you bring the kingdom of God here and now. And God commands his people to give, if you would, a tithe because he understands that the nature of fallen human beings is to hold on to what we have is to make sure we line our pockets, is to make sure our 401k is set, to make sure our retirement is dialed in, to make sure that we've got everything that we have to do in order to live the lifestyle that we want. And God knows that's human nature. That's the subject at which we're tempted to live. That's the slippery slope. Does this mean that God doesn't want anything for you that's good? No, it's not what I'm saying. But human nature says you, you take and you take care of number one. 
And the reality is we also live in this world that, hey, if I could just get a little bit more, then I can live the good life. If I can just get a little bit more of a raise, if I can earn $10,000 more, if I can earn 5% more, if I can get that promotion, then we'll finally be set and we can breathe again. And you and I both know what has happened over time. The more you make, same struggle. I asked in the first service, because my, my analogy was, I remember getting $2 an hour to stuff uh, Chicago Tribunes at 7-Eleven when I was like 11. And that was like, I was a millionaire. And I also got a free Charleston Chew uh, at the same time, which was unbelievable. I asked the first service, Bill Smith was sitting in the back where Cheryl's sitting. And I said, hey, Bill, Bill's one of the oldest there. And I said, hey, uh, when was your first job? And he said 11, when I was 11. And he was bagging groceries. And I said, well, how much did you make? 15 cents an hour. I said, well, Bill, that doesn't provide a lot of wiggle room to drop your pay. (laughs) You don't like cut someone's pay at 15 cents, like really close to zero. 15 cents is awfully close to nothing, right? It's almost close to you paying them. He remembers when he was raised a quarter. He got 25 cents an hour. And he said, on 25 cents an hour, for those of you who are skiers, you'll appreciate this. On 25 cents an hour, he had a family and still went skiing every weekend on 25 cents an hour. And it kept growing and kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. And he told me afterwards, but I always needed more. That's human nature. What we're talking about is is just the elephant in the living room. We're talking about just the realness that we would have conversations about at a brewery or a restaurant or your house. We're just having them in church, this idea about money. And sometimes it's taboo. Don't talk about it in church. But we have to wrestle with this idea because the story of the Bible is not get a bunch more and hold on really tight. That's not the story in the Bible, which is why the tithe, the the 10%, if you would, falls completely apart in the New Testament. Because there we read about a people who were set free, not from giving, but we read rather about a people group who were set free to give. And when they did, it changed everything. The entire region was turned upside down with the church that was set free to give. And no one was in need. And everything was thrown into the middle, often at ridiculous costs. And God commands his people to do this, to to give generously. This was a radical, selfless, Holy Spirit-driven, empowered people group. And because of their generosity, they began to see the unthinkable. A couple of things that marked the early church, they gave sacrificially. They gave in a way that impacted their lifestyle. It cost them something. They gave out of a need. They gave knowing who gave it to them in the first place. They gave in joy, happiness, excitement to see what God would do. And they gave more than they could afford. If you read early accounts of the the first century church, many went without food so that another wouldn't. Many went without a coat on their back so that another was warm. 
Many went without a roof over their head so that another was safe. That was the mentality. That was the belief that God has blessed, so we will bless. We will take care of. We will be generous. Why? Because God is generous. And so we wrestle with this idea. And so the idea here is this, is that everything comes through God because of his blessing, because of his provision. And one of the ways that we recognize this, one of the ways that we do this correctly is by giving to God first. This is from the book of Proverbs chapter 3, and it's found all throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Again, crops for us today is just whatever allows you to earn an income. And this actually leads us, leads us back to another motivation for why do we even give in the first place? We give to God first so that our money can remind us that our hearts are God's first. Your heart is not your spouse's first. Your heart is not your kid's first. It's not your job first. It's not your extracurricular activities first. It's not your political party first. It's not the things that you do fun that goes first. Your heart, your allegiance, what needs to be on the throne, your heart is to God. And what the Bible says is God knows that where our heart is, there will be our money. And conversely, where our money is, you will soon find your heart. And so the last thing I want to do is give you a couple takeaways. Sometimes it's easy to, to walk in, especially to this series on wrestling with God, to walk in and, and listen to uh, a message of, of what the Bible has to say and not change anything. So I want to give you three very practical ways to kind of wrestle with this a little bit. Number one, I, I would love to invite you to get honest about how much you are giving to God. Again, I, I cannot preface this enough uh, and... and and I've been fearful all week long. If you're a guest or visitor, we're not out for your money. This has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the elders. This is you and God. This is a, a spiritual discipline that God calls the follower of Christ to wrestle with. But get honest with God. Sometimes we leave things a little ambiguous. We say, well, I'm just going to give a little bit here, a little bit there. We'll just see where things go, what comes up. And it's easier to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're living a certain way when in reality we're not. And so wrestle with that. Avoid facing, uh, don't avoid facing the facts. Get clear on what you're giving to God. You don't have to, and I don't want you to, wrestle with me, with anybody else in this room. This is a private matter. This is a private matter between you and God, maybe your spouse, uh, but for you to, to wrestle, to, to deal with this topic that's really uncomfortable, that really at times creates defensiveness and guilt, but it's important. What am I giving to our church? What am I giving to the work of God in this world? Number two, give to God first. Give to God first because it sets the priority of what's first, what is the most important thing in your life. This is for the follower of Jesus. This is for what God does. When we take an offering, when, when you support uh, Compassion International or another organization, whatever it is, you're putting God first in your life. Let your money lead your heart to a good place. 
not to a bad place. One of the ways that, that we make it possible for you to give to Rock Creek Church uh, is through our offering baskets this, that get passed. A lot of you give online. You give through our app, which has a giving uh, feature on there. We really want to encourage that. Uh, or through regular ACH banking that sends a check for you as well. And, and that's a great place. One of the ways that I, reasons why I really love reoccurring uh, online giving is because it eliminates the temptation for me to make the justification that life happens. Maybe, maybe you've been there, maybe it's just me, but here are some of the things that I have justified in the past with not giving. It was a really hard month this month. I've, I've used that one. Well, I found this really good deal online. Doggone internet. My kids really wanted something. I don't struggle as much with that one because I don't give them anything. I'm just kidding. Well, we really want to go skiing, uh, and I'm not against skiing. We really want to go on vacation. We really want to do this, fill, fill in the blank with whatever it is. I need a new phone. She is the cutest thing in the world. She's fine. I need a new phone. Or, or maybe you've had this one before. I saw this thing at Home Depot. I didn't even know it existed, but I've got to have it. Or mama needs some shoes. That, we could go on and on. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not guilty. I, I'm saying this is me. What I'm saying is this is all of us. We all have this wrestle point in our lives. And so take a look. And the last one is this. Grow in your giving. Whatever your giving is right now, grow in it. You give nothing, give something to God. You take money out of the offering baskets when they get passed, stop doing that. <laughs> take a step. I don't know what your step is. But grow in your giving of some kind. Why? Because the pastors need a pastor hot tub or because we want to go and, and get, you know, Pastor Rocky's tickets? No, this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with your heart, your relationship with God, your discipleship process. If you rob yourself of stretching in your giving, you're robbing yourself of growth. I'm just the messenger. And the idea of tithing is not supposed to be a lid. It's not supposed to be a ceiling on your giving. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt not give more than 10% of giving, thus saith the Lord. But for Christians, we're weird. We grab 10% in our calculator and we dial that bad boy in and boom, there's our amount. Nowhere does it say stop at 10%. God says give. And if you want to apply the New Testament, it says give until you can't give anymore, until you have to be the receiver. And so for some of you, this whole idea is brand new. 
This whole idea of following Christ is absolutely brand new. This whole idea of giving is brand new. I want you to know there's an unbelievable amount of grace and, and patience as you learn this spiritual discipline. Tons. But for a lot of us in this room, for as much as God has given us, for as much as we have been blessed, for as much as we make, for as much as you have been following Jesus Christ, and for as much as you are continuing to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you probably need to wrestle. I need to wrestle. And this might be one of those topics where you go, man, hell was easy. Suffering was easy. Fear was easy. This one hurts. I don't mean it to. Or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe giving's a piece of cake, but you know what? Suffering and fear and, and hell, that, those, are, those are some hard topics, and maybe those hurt. But today, maybe you need to wrestle with God on your giving. And, and I know, trust me, this is my least favorite topic in the whole world. But it's what God calls us to. And so we have to address it. So let's pray together as we go into worship before our great God and King. So Lord, we, we recognize that this topic is, uh, it's certainly not in the top five list of fastest ways to grow a church. But it made it in the Sermon on the Mount and it made it all throughout the scriptures more than any other topic that exists. And, and you care deeply, deeply about the things that you've given to us to make sure we're good stewards. And so this discipleship process, this growth process, this walking with you, Jesus, is something that periodically we need to address. We need to take a look at. And, and I ask for a ton of grace a ton of patience for each and every person in this room as we wrestle with that. Pray that your arms are continuing to stay open wide, that you're willing to listen, that you're willing to, to, to talk and to process with us. Thank you that you're not a rule keeper. You're not up there with a checklist making sure we've done everything right and, and enough. I thank you that your grace is is more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so as we continue in this series of wrestling with God and we deal with this topic, I, I pray that we walk away with an intimacy more than a bunch of answers. Maybe some action steps to go forward. So we love you, Jesus Christ, King of all, Lord of this world ruler of all nations, we submit ourselves before you. And thank you for every good and perfect gift that you've given to us. We pray this in Christ's name.